and welcome to The Eclectic Humanist, episode 15. As I record this, I've just checked the American election results and have found that the Associated Press has called the election for Joe Biden, with his current electoral vote count standing at 284. If the states that have not yet been called continue on their current trajectories, he will end up with 306 electoral votes, which will probably be the case by the time you folks hear this. So, I thought, following up on the last episode and being able to think of very little else, I'd just do another little sharing of thoughts on the uh, on the election as it stands right now, and how 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 things might look actually going forward from here. And I will try to keep this brief. Maybe we should start with the facts. It's always good to start with the facts. I realize there are many people on the right who aren't really fond of that term. Fact is, after all, a four-letter word. But it's always where I prefer to begin. The fact is that Biden flipped five states. A fact is that the election has been called for Biden. And another fact, a very important fact, is that this race was far narrower than it ever should have been. Don't let the number of flipped states fool you. This was a close election. It should have been a walk away. Given Trump's dishonesty, given his incompetence, given his blatant inhumanity and his treatment of everyone who is not bootlickingly loyal to him, the fact that he had a single voter left is a puzzle to me. The fact that more people actually voted for him this time than voted for him last time points to a mass moral failure and a mass intellectual failure on the part of almost half of the American voting public. Another fact is that Trump has flagged his intention to steal the election from the beginning, casting doubts on, for example, the the legitimacy of absentee ballots, which have been a functioning part of American elections since the Civil War, so for almost 150 years now. And another fact is that in states where the counting was going on but seemed to be going against him, Trump was demanding that the counts be stopped, as were the Trumpledites who follow him. But in states where it looked like the count was going in his favor, both he and his cultists were insisting that it continue. So therefore, it is also a fact, an indisputable fact, that there is an absolute lack of intellectual integrity on the part of both the Trump campaign and his followers. These are just facts. It is a fact that yesterday, as of this recording, Trump has claimed in a speech that you can all go online and watch because it was recorded from the White House, that Republican observers have not been allowed in to watch the vote counting in some jurisdictions. This is false. This is patently false. And yet, and yet, his fact-immune followers continue to repeat it. That is, it is a fact that Trump knew long ago that he was not going to win this election in a fair fight. And it is a fact that he has done his best to sabotage public confidence in the most important procedure in the United States, in the defining procedure, the defining process of the United States, and in the legitimacy of the mechanisms of the world's oldest democracy. It is a fact that Trumpledite protesters, gun-toting amosexuals, have been protesting, stop the count, stop the count, stop the count, 
These same people, most of them I have no doubt Second Amendment fetishists, given the hardware they are carrying on their hips, being the ones who, every time anyone mentions something about gun control, any kind of sane gun control, start bleating about the government trying to steal their freedom. Well, the government's not trying to steal your freedom, buttercup. It's trying to include everybody's freedom. That's how vote counting works. But it's worse. I saw a clip just earlier today of a scene in Nevada of Trump cultists on their knees with their hands in the air, bowing over and over again, praying, praying for the vote count to be stopped. That is, they are praying to their imaginary mythological world controller to undermine the most fundamental system of American democracy. These are the fucking Christian nationalist lunatics that I was talking with you about a couple of episodes ago. That is why these people are so dangerous. Christian nationalism is definitionally opposed to democracy. And that is why these people need to go. And that is why I am so glad to see the demographics turning against them, as I talked to you about a while ago, and I'm not going to get into that again. So, the fact, the final and most important fact for now, is that Joe Biden is the new president-elect of the United States. And Kamala Harris is the first vice president-elect of the United States to be a woman and a person of color. So as far as the facts go, when everything is tallied up, Saturday, November 7th, 2020, is a very good day. But as long as we're on the topic of facts, we should probably have another fairly important one on the table, just for the sake of honesty. It's a fact that I am not an American, and therefore I can only speak as an outsider in this case. Or at least an outsider to a degree. I am Canadian, which is like the next thing to being American. And as the old saying goes, when the United States sneezes, Canada catches cold. There's no Canadian who doesn't have an interest, and in many cases a very strong interest, in the outcome of this election. More so, I would argue, than the citizens of any other country in the world whose initials don't happen to be U, S, and A. And honestly, in any contentious situation... Sometimes an outsider's perspective is useful. Sometimes it actually takes someone who is not immediately embedded in the confrontations and in the arguments to try to get a handle on the whole picture. Now, that said, I'm not trying to puff myself up. I am not an expert on this stuff. I am not an authority. And it's not like I'm completely disinterested. I have friends in the United States. I have family in the United States. I have a fiancé I haven't seen in eight months, despite the fact that she lives only about an hour and ten minutes away, because so many Americans, taking their cue largely from their soon-to-be ex-president, in ignoring facts, in ignoring science, ignoring best practices, and trying rather to transform their imagined world into an actual world in spite of this thing called reality... So yeah, I also do have an interest. I have skin in this game. So I can't claim to be totally objective either. And I don't want to come across that way. Basically, I'm just a guy trying to figure shit out. 
and for the last four years I've been a guy looking on in horror as the country with which his has the most in common in the entire world has descended further and further into not fictional dystopia, which I really enjoy, but actual dystopia, which is horrifying, and has just barely, barely held itself back from willingly plunging over the cliff into out-and-out fascism. So, speaking as a Canadian and someone who has long, long considered himself, despite the rhetoric he sometimes uses, a genuine friend of the American people, if not of the government, someone who grew up in a border community, who has always had strong cross-border relationships, I'm absolutely confident that not just my country, but all of the other countries that are allied with you folks and on whom your outgoing government has so foolishly and blatantly turned its back in favor of keeping company with dictators and tyrants. We're all ready. I have every confidence in saying this. We're all ready to say welcome back. Welcome back to a world Welcome back to a political world defined by rule of law, defined by reciprocity in negotiation, defined by good faith negotiations, by give and take, by a recognition, by a mutual recognition of worth. Welcome back to that world. For you and for us, I am overjoyed. And these are not just words. My country's constitution is modeled on your country's constitution. It's not the same because we had some time to see how things worked for you folks and what didn't work and maybe correct some of the things that you got wrong. But if it weren't for you, we wouldn't be here. Even though you did kind of try to conquer us in 1812 and we did kind of set fire to your president's residence in 1814, but you know, bygones. But the truth is, and I speak this in the deepest admiration for your own democratic tradition, there is probably no modern democracy that doesn't owe much of its constitution to your constitution. It's not a flawless document, but it's a world-changing document. And I mean that in the best sense. It has changed the world for the better. And you came so, so close to having all of that thrown away. And you have just barely, barely voted to retain the integrity of your own defining mechanisms. And it's the nearness of the election that I can't get away from thinking about. Despite my joy at the outcome, the nearness, the narrowness of the margin makes me shudder. It makes me shudder for you, for all decent people south of the border, people who care about human worth, regardless of gender, regardless of ethnicity, because you barely squeaked this one out, folks. You barely made it with all of the evidence confronting the voting public. Almost half of you said, yeah, cool. I'd like another four years of that, please. And not even please, because of course, a lot of them brought guns. So a couple of questions come into my mind right now. One, what does an outsider do? How, how, do, how do people outside the United States look on and, and conduct themselves? 
And on the one hand, you know, you might say, mind your own fucking business, but of all countries in the world, no citizen of the United States has the right to say that because you folks have military bases in more than a hundred other countries. You don't mind your own fucking business. So nobody's going to mind their own fucking business where you were concerned. That is called also reciprocity. But what do we do? How do we view Americans from this point? Do we wipe the slate and say, okay, that was a blip and now we're back to normal? Or do we brace ourselves for the next election cycle when four years from now, the Republicans throw up someone who is just as morally reprehensible, but smarter? I don't know. I don't know. And I'm worried. I'm concerned. I'm relieved for now, but that's a short-term relief and I know it. I'm concerned for you folks long-term. You're sick. Your society is sick. Your infrastructure is falling apart. Your people are falling into poverty. Your education system has failed. That's one of the reasons why this election was so close. The capacity for rational thought is not being cultivated in your public school system or in your public discourse. And you need to fix that if you're going to survive as some semblance of a free society. You need to fix it. For example, how many millions of American voters were essentially tricked into voting for Donald Trump because the Trump campaign convinced them that Joe Biden was a socialist. Joe Biden is no fucking socialist, folks. If he were in my country, the party in which he would be most at home is the conservative party. You haven't voted a socialist in. You voted collectively, not for a socialist, but for a conservative. All you did was get rid of the fascist, and believe me, I am glad. But for all of you who have fallen prey to the fear that the Trump campaign cultivated in you, Joe Biden is still a darling of Wall Street. Joe Biden doesn't support Medicare for all. In fact, he said he'll veto it if it comes to his desk. And progressive people have an uphill fight to get him to do anything. So I'm not even a fan of Joe Biden. I'm sure he's a lovely man. I don't like his politics. But at least he's someone with whom people can work. He's someone prepared to compromise. He is someone prepared to try to cultivate some sort of unity in a country more fractured than it has been since 1865. But no, my dear conservative American friends, Joe Biden is no socialist, and you don't have to worry that socialism, or even worse, communism, has now gotten a toehold in the United States. Up until recently, not too many decades ago, someone with Joe Biden's policies would have been a Republican. But enough about that. Well, almost enough of that. Do you remember when, for eight years, the NRA was agitating against the Obama administration because they said, they're coming for your guns? And did you ever notice that they never came for your guns? Biden's not coming for your guns. He's not coming for your freedom. And if you don't have a lot of money, he's okay letting you go into debt or die trying to pay your medical bills. So really, business as usual. You don't have to worry, my dear conservative Americans. 
things aren't going to get fixed, but at least you're going to stop getting worse. And at least your country can stop, for the time being, being a laughingstock on the world stage. At least your president can go to international conferences and when he leaves, not have the heads of state of other countries making jokes about him amongst themselves because you know what? He deserved it. And yeah, I've seen that footage. I've seen the footage of Trudeau and Macron and I think Merkel making jokes about Donald Trump because the guy was an idiot and he didn't deserve their respect. And here's just a little truth bum for y'all. Doesn't matter how many guns you have. Respect isn't earned by guns. It's earned by integrity. It's earned by conduct. And the guy you backed didn't have that. But I keep saying I'm going to stop talking about that. So I think I'm going to stop talking about it now. And maybe shift to the international perspective. On which I am also not an expert. And here, I guess I need to change who I'm actually talking to. I've been addressing Americans, both progressive and conservative, in the second person. And I do, again, most sincerely mean to the citizens of the United States, welcome back to the international community. We have missed you. But now, speaking to Canadians or members of other nations, how are we supposed to look at the United States? This also gives me some trouble, and I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to figure things out. How do we go forward? Can we simply welcome the United States back? Yes, of course we can, but can we trust them? And the answer there is no. Not if we're smart. We can't. And does the United States have any moral authority left? No. None. Absolutely none. So when they come back to the international table, it is going to be under different terms. Their prestige has been squandered and it's not coming back. And they're going to have to talk nicely. But I want to get back to the issue of trust because this applies to both domestic and international politics. How much trust can the international community have in a country that just barely voted not to be fascist, and that might well vote for another fascist candidate in four years if those flames continue to be stoked, if that white nationalist and Christian nationalist agenda continues to have traction in that sick and fractured country. So no, we cannot trust the United States, even if we thought we could before, and that's doubtful. We can't trust them now not till they get their shit together. And I think they will. I honestly do, and I'm probably among progressive people a minority on that one. I think the United States will get its shit together, not because the country as it is currently constituted wants to, but because the old, angry, white Christian men are dying off, and the faster they do that, the better. The demographic is changing and in four years, there will be proportionally even few of them then than there are now. But of course, we also need to ask, as people looking on to citizens of another country, how do we view Americans? And honestly, setting aside politics, I think we need to view Americans 
with profound compassion right now. And that's, I think, the last topic I really want to address before just signing off and editing and posting this. I think, regardless of what political decisions have been made in the past and what political decisions are going to be made in the near future, millions of Americans have been traumatized by their four-year experiment in authoritarianism. Thousands of Americans have died because of Trump's science denial. They're approaching a quarter million COVID-19 fatalities now, and I would lay half of those at Donald Trump's feet and quite happily see him charged in every one of those cases for criminal fucking negligence. It's never going to happen, but it is a dream I have. But the majority of Americans are right now entitled to the compassion of everyone, everyone who is a citizen of one of their allied nations. These people have been through a lot. As horrifying as it has been, for me, as a not entirely disinterested outsider looking on, it has been more horrifying for conscientious Americans, for decent Americans, Americans who recognize human worth, who recognize the empirical authority of science on questions where it is relevant. That is a nation, not just a nation in need of healing, but a nation full of people in need of healing, individual citizens, individual people who have spent the last four years, in many cases, fighting very hard to make things better, who have finally succeeded for now. So regardless of politics, those folks deserve our compassion, those folks deserve our respect. And for those of us who are concerned about how things could have gone, Everyone who voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris deserves the gratitude of every single citizen in their allied nations. So thank you, folks. From the bottom of my heart, I'm speaking to all of you who voted to get that fascist the fuck out of the White House. Thank you. We are in your debt. And I wish you well. You have my sincerest admiration. And honestly... I don't want to over-talk my welcome, so I'm going to shut up now. I think next episode I'm going to shift to something other than politics because that's not why I started doing this podcast. I've just felt compelled to address these issues now. So, thank you for listening. If you want to be in touch, I'm at eclectic.humanist at gmail.com. Of course, the Eclectic Humanist Facebook page is always there, as is the Twitter handle at ECHumanist. For now, though, I'm going to sign off, and sign off more hopefully than I've done in a very long time. Thank you for listening, and in all of the tumult that is no doubt going to follow over the next few weeks, please, please, be kind to each other. 